Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Joe Kane. I'm Dan Kane. I'm Sal Conca. And I'm Wayne Heckler. And this is The Imperfect Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at HecklerKane.com and download our episodes at iTunes and SoundCloud. To the bumper. Today we're going to be talking to the writer and director B. Harrison Smith. He has such accomplishments under his belt, such as Zombie Killer's Elephant's Graveyard and Camp Dread starring Eric Roberts. He's also going to be talking with us about his release for 2017, Death House. Let's talk to Harrison. Welcome, Harrison. Welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Really appreciate it. I started making movies when I was 10 years old. My uncle got me um, an old silent Super 8 camera, Kodak camera, (laughs) and I started making uh, movies. And uh, I did a lot of lawn work and stuff when I was a kid, so I saved up my money, got my uh, film cartridges, you know, on, on allowance and bought them and I edited with scissors and spliced with scotch tape and drew my lasers in by hand with needles in the old-fashioned way. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's excellent. So that's, I, that's the film school way. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to make movies. I mean, Jaws was the movie that made me want to make movies. I saw that when I was um, uh, eight years old in uh, 1975. So I saw it in theaters with my mom and... I loved it. I fell in love with it. I think Jaws was X-rated for anybody over thirty. <laughs> yeah, right. Did you not so, go in the water? Did you Did you not travel to the shore? Well, I'm, that, I'm that naturally year? I'm naturally afraid of the water. It's kind of a Chief Brody thing. I've always been terrified of the water. <laughs> in fact, I have the uh, noble. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a noble thing or whatever, but I have the distinction of being kicked out of Red Cross swimming lessons when I was ten for choking the instructor for trying to drag me into the water. <laughs> has nothing to do with sharks it has i I know there are no sharks in swimming pools i I hate the water i I hate it and i think brody summed it up best in jaws drowning (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect that's That's perfect right there so other than having made films since the ripe age of 10 um did you get any formal training along the way did you go to school did you learn how to you know write and all that well, good stuff or, or did you fake I had a semester, it semester i had a semester and a half at penn state for film and i flunked out because i was too busy partying and messing around with a cheerleader down the hall so <laughs> nice um but then what i did was is i i came home after blowing that tuition and wasting it and i said to my mom i'm gonna move to uh los angeles and i bullshitted the secretary for anthony perkins out at universal studios and i said i worked for the penn state collegian and I was the editor, and uh, we were doing a spot on Psycho 3 that was going to be coming out at that time. And she started talking to me. She's like, you go to Penn State? I go, yeah. She goes, well, I went to Penn State. And I said, oh, it's funny. You know, I'm thinking of moving out there eventually and blah, blah, blah. She goes, I'll tell you what. She goes, you get me a Penn State hoodie, and I'll get you in to see Tony Perkins. Hmm. Done. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Trip to the gift store at the college. <laughs> yep. 
And uh, I flew out at the age of 18 to Los Angeles by myself. First time I was ever on a, a cross-continental trip. I knew nobody. Um, I had no home. I, I remember I said to my mom, like I had saved my money up. And uh, my mom was like, so when are you leaving? And I said, Friday. And that was Monday. You know what I mean? Wow. It was one of those things. <laughs> so I flew out there. I got off the plane, put all my stuff in a locker in, in Los Angeles in a bus locker. And I went over to the dark, the black tower. And um, I met with Jackie. That was his secretary. And then I met with Anthony Perkins and I showed him my reel and uh, my VHS reel. And uh, he said, you know, you're making movies and all that. He goes, are you looking for a job? And he ended up getting me a job as a production assistant, a paid production assistant on Murder, She Wrote. And um, I landed that at 18. And by the way, I had a job before I had a home. So I slept in a hotel room (laughs) that night and then got an apartment uh, the next day. And then I lived out there for about a year and a half, two years. And I dated a girl from a soap opera. And um, finally, it was Howard Kassanjan from Return of the Jedi and Raiders of Lost Ark. I used to eat lunch in this one place that he used to come in and he started asking me like, who are you? What are you doing? And so I told him my story and he said, yeah, but you're living out here. He goes, all these movies you made back home. He said, how much did you pay to, to film that scene in the mall? And I said, nothing. He goes, well, you're not going to find that here. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me, he just said, kid, go home. <laughs> you can shoot all you want there and no one's going to charge you. He goes, everybody out here has a script. Everybody's a filmmaker. No one's going to do you favors. Like this guy was pretty cynical. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I did, I ended up going home and, uh, well now here I am. In today's day and age, that's a really good piece of advice. I mean, wherever you are, you can film and everybody thinks yeah. you have to get out to LA and LA quite yeah. frankly, is, as a is... filmmaker, you really don't. I mean, if you're an actor, maybe it's a different story, but, um, you're right with the internet and the digital age and, and uploading and, and all of that stuff. You don't need to be there physically. So what did you do from there? Did you put together a team, like people you knew you could work with? How did it go no, from there? I really wish I could sound smart and say I did. I, I screwed around more. Um, I ended up running. You found more cheerleaders. Well, <laughs> always had an eye for the ladies. So uh, I, um, I ended up uh, running a movie theater in, in the local mall, like an 8plex. It was a Lowe's theater that became Sony Theaters. <laughs> And, you know, you're, you're doing that. And then I, I remember it was one day my old uh, creative writing teacher came to the movies and you know, he's like, so what are you doing here? And I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, the assistant manager and blah, blah, blah. And But I got things going, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you mm-hmm. got things. And he wasn't he wasn't a jerk about it, but you could tell by his attitude, like, you know, it was I always hoped you'd be doing more. Mm-hmm. And um I realized that. So I started really, then I started, you know, working my ass off to get scripts out and taking advantage of the connections when Lowe's got bought by Sony Pictures, um, you know, making friends with the chairman of Lowe's Theaters, uh, Alan Friedberg, and uh, getting my name out there and starting to really actively get product out there and screenplays. And then um, I realized, you know, I didn't want to run a movie theater. So for a while there, I, I got married. Uh, after I decided I was going to go to college, I was going to go back to college and I got my degree in, in education and I taught high school for almost 15 years. Oh, no and shit. in that time, <laughs> I, that you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I, I sold scripts, you know, I mean, I got scripts going and, and out to people. And then, you know, one day, um, 
this guy, this investor came to me and he said, I want to make a movie. I have the money. I hear you're the guy, you know, a friend of a friend, that kind of thing. Like Howard Cassandra was right. The, the local word spread. Mm-hmm. And he said, I hear you're the guy. And I had a script called The Fields, um, which was originally titled The Man, which was based on the true story of what happened to me as a boy on my grandparents' farm. And um, our, our house came under attack by these people that came out of the cornfield actors. They, they cut the power lines. They killed the dogs. You know, they smashed the windows in our house, the wow. whole thing. Shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't seen The Fields, if you do see it, it's on Hulu right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a true story. Cloris Leachman plays my grandmother. Uh, Tara Reid plays my mom. And it takes place in 1973. Wow. And um, this guy put money into it. And uh, after we made the film, I, I'm now divorced. Um, but I said to my wife, uh, you know, I, I think I really need to try this because if I don't, I'm going to be that guy when I'm 70 going, I should have. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a student who said to me, you know, because we shot the fields in 32 days. And in 32 days, I only missed four days of school. Wow. Like that was it. Wow. So you started and shooting at 3 p.m. Oh, well, Tara Reid didn't didn't believe that I was a teacher. And one (laughs) night uh, she and I were out and I said, listen, I got to stop by my classroom and uh, get these tests run off for tomorrow because we're shooting this big scene in the bar and I won't be in school. And she said, she goes, get the fuck out. You're not a teacher. I go, I'm a teacher. (laughs) So we pulled up to the school at two o'clock in the morning and I get out. She goes, what are we doing at a school, at a high school at two in the morning? I said, I told you, this is what I do. She's like, you're a producer. I said, I'm a teacher. (laughs) So I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going inside. And when the security guard comes around, tell him you're with Harrison and he'll wonder why Tara Reed is sitting in his parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) So um, she follows me in. She goes to the the copy room. Then she comes back to my classroom and she turns to me and she goes, you're Batman. That's what she (laughs) said. That's cool. (laughs) Tara Reed calls you Batman. There you go. Tara Reed calls me Batman. And you know what she did? She signed every one of my students' tests. She autographed. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's nice. That's and really cool. uh, when I came back the following, the day after, um, one of my students said, Hey, Smith, did Tara Reed really sign our tests? And I go, Yeah, he goes, I don't care if I fucking flunk that thing or not. I'm keeping that. <laughs> 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 nice. That's perfect. Nice. <laughs> how, do you, how did you get that movie produced? And how did you get well, named the investor? At- probably that's the well. First sure, thing. I mean your first indie film out of the gate, right? Clearly, you got mm-hmm. money. Clearly, you had casting, right? You got named actors, Cloris Leachman and Tara Reid and and others. So, how did that process work for you? I mean, knowing that you were coming, from, you just found folks to work with. You found a producer to work work with. Uh, this is for other, right? We're in, we we have other folks sure. that are indie film that listen to this, we're looking for advice and kind of you know all that good stuff. The, the, the number one thing, I mean, my advice to you, everything you want to know about filmmaking, you can learn by making by the making of the movie Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, every screw up, every mess, every catastrophe, every mistake was made on that film. And um, you don't need to go to film school. Just devour every book and every documentary on the making of that movie, and you will learn how to make movies. Um, because you need to learn to fly by the seat of your pants and think. Uh, the other thing is I always modeled myself after John Carpenter because not making the kind of movies that he makes, but John, I think always did his best work 
his four best films are uh, Halloween, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, The Fog, Escape from New York, and The Thing. And the reason why I say that, I mean, Starman, yes, but that's like in a different kind of level. Mm -hmm. But his original four indie films, um, I think because he used the same crew over and over again. He used a lot of the same people. I mean, Charles Cipher shows up and Tom Atkins is there and he always reused people. And if you notice watching my films, a lot of my cast stays the same. I bring Mm -hmm. them back. Um, And the same with my crew. I've been working with the same crew now for, my God, almost seven years. Mm-hmm. and that's that's a big deal so my what i did was when this guy came to me and he said you know look i want to put some money into into things i contacted a few filmmaking friends and they said listen we we know these two guys i didn't feel i was up for directing at that point i wrote the script and i was just learning producing and it's kind of like what captain kirk said in star trek 2 the wrath of khan when he says to kirstie alley this is why you need to know how a starship works. You need to know everything that mm-hmm. goes on. Mm-hmm. So from taking out the trash to, you know, dealing with SAG, I needed to learn all of that. So I was not up for directing at that point, but I had two guys that were recommended to me. I watched their first film and I, I liked their first film. I felt it was very atmospheric and I thought that they would get it and they wouldn't turn the fields into a, a slasher horror film, which it is not. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of went from there. I made contacts in Philadelphia. My composer, John Avarice, uh, has scored all of my films. I'm going on my uh, sixth motion picture. And uh, John is, will, is scoring uh, Garlic and Gunpowder as well, too. So I started finding these people. And then, you know, you go through and, and they bring people aboard. And you find who works and who doesn't, who's a fit, who isn't. And uh, you go from there. And, and you know, you tr- just the goal is... You always treat people right. Uh, you stay up front and transparent, and you work your ass off. Mm-hmm. And and that's really the, I guess the uh, the the secret sauce. You know, that's it. So Just, relationships, work your ass off, and get it done. And get it done, and don't talk about it. You know, yeah. uh, we we live in a generation now where everybody fucking talks about everything, and it's like stop talking about it. Go do it. Mm-hmm. That's why when you see these people online, oh, we're going to review the latest trailer today. What the hell is that? Reviewing a trailer. <laughs> you know? Right, right. It's like picking fly shit out of, you know, pepper. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, we're, well, we have the review in on the latest trailer for, you know, Skyfall. Let's <laughs> let's judge the whole movie on 30 seconds. <laughs> yep. Right. Out of curiosity, um, uh, coming from a teaching profession into being a professional director and producer, um, and, and writer too, um, what, how, when do you decide to make that jump from being a teacher and going, okay, I'm quitting this, I'm leaving this, and going into, I, I'm doing this full time. Full time. time yeah. <laughs> when you when you realize your biological clock is ticking. <laughs> um, I was just about forty at that time. And um, I had a student who said to me in class, I came back, the fields had wrapped, and I came back to school, and he goes, so uh, what are you going to do? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to do? He goes, well, you know, Smith, you said to us, this is what you always wanted to do since you were a kid. Mm-hmm. I go, yeah, but, you know, life got in the way kind of thing. I go, uh-huh. I don't know. I, I said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, let's see how the fields does. He goes, yeah, just like my old man says, those who can't do teach. Mm, ouch and I was like what do you mean and he goes well you stand up here and you tell us to follow our dreams and so you had this dream and you're just going to put it on a shelf 
And I said, well, no. And then I really thought about it. So I went home to my wife and, um, you know, I said to her, you know, look, I, I think I really need to do this. And we were in a financial position where we could. And, uh, you know, when I first, when we first got married, basically I worked the first two years and, um, you know, she discovered herself kind of thing and bounced from job to job. So it was kind of like the Mark Twain thing. Give me two years. If I can't make money at what I love, then I'll go chop wood. So mm -hmm. I'll go back and I'll go back to education, you know? And, um, I, she allowed it, you know, like we talked about it. She said, go for it. And then I landed six degrees of hell in six months. Then my marriage, you know, was going downhill because she, you know, everybody says that. I, I mean, I don't know if people expect me to talk badly about my ex-wife. She was a great girl, but the problem was she was in the government. Um, she didn't like what I did. She didn't understand it. She felt, you know, it, we were just at odds and it wasn't getting better. The more my career took off in it, the worse the marriage got. Hmm. So, and I'm not saying that that was the cause of it. You know, you just kind of grew apart, but a very nice person. And, um, you know, I wished it would have worked out, but it didn't. Camp Dread was when I took, finally decided I'm going to direct this thing. And uh, the investor said the same thing. He goes, I don't want anybody directing it, but you. Um, I wrote it. And, uh, but I, I wanted it to be, you know, like really everybody says, oh, it's like a tribute to Friday the 13th. It really isn't. No. It's more, it's more of a tip of the hat to Psycho 2 mm -hmm. is really oh, wow. what it is. Yeah. So how did casting go though for, for all these, do you do the casting or do you have a casting I did agent? the casting. So you... I did the casting for all of them. I, and that's what I mean. You learn like you can't text a casting request to a, to a, an agency. You got to know how to talk to people. Yep. You know, this isn't Facebooking and Snapchat and Instagram. You have to know how to talk to people. And, you know, to get through that door in an agency and especially the gatekeepers that, you know, decide, you know, whether you're going to talk to the agent or not, or if your project is, you know, good or not, that's tough. But you need to learn how to talk to people. Well, you learned early with a Penn State hoodie to how to get That's in, right. right? So you at an early age, you learned. <laughs> he learned about bribery. It's a really good <laughs> well, technique. Well, you know, schmoozing the cheerleader down the hall. Exactly. I mean, listen, it, it <laughs> works. You have to do what you have to do, yeah. Six feature right. films it. later. I mean, who can argue with the strategy, right? Um, did you find, do you find yourself, uh, um, I find filmmakers to be of an entrepreneurial spirit. Have you always been a bit of a lone wolf? But you also have these relationships and the teams you work with. So do you consider yourself more of a team player or an entrepreneur who sometimes can be no a team, a team player. I, I need my team. I, I'm not an entrepreneur. If, if I were, I'd probably be like, you know, Ed Sanchez or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, a little farther along, I'm, I'm not a businessman. Uh, so no, I can't say I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, I am good. One thing I was always good at since a child was getting people together and doing mm -hmm. things. In seventh grade, I got all the kids in my neighborhood to put together a haunted forest so we could raise money for the SPCA. <laughs> you know, um, I was the class president in high school, and that's a story within itself on what we did to raise the money for our prom. But if you saw Risky Business and merge that with Wolf of Wall Street, you get a pretty good <laughs> <laughs> Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so true. great. That's so, so great. You know, in forming a team, it's about finding people that are saying, you know, yeah, look, we'll, we'll do this for you. And, and most of all, treating them right. Because 
you know, you, you really meet some talented crew along the way. And man, you hate coming to them with low budgets going, you know, you have all this talent and all I can pay you is this. Hmm. And that sucks. Um, but, you know, look, no one's holding a gun to their head either. They can say yeah. no, and some have. Some have said, ah, Harrison, I'd, I'd love to do it, but I got a bigger gig. And and yeah. there's no hard feelings. It's like, well, maybe we'll catch you on, if you need a little supplemental income sometime, uh, you know, come work for me on, on that. And, you know, look, anytime that I can get the budgets up high, which some of them, I mean, Death House was a $1.1 million budget. Yeah. So that's a pretty good one. Oh. Uh, Camp Dread was three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. So, you know, it, it depends on the budgets. But when you start working with people and they see that you're working your ass off to stay loyal to them, well, then they'll do some things too. Like my my gaffer, um, Wes Carrier at, of Carrier Lighting and Sound. I've used him since Six Degrees, and uh, I'm not saying they do it all the time, but you know, every once in a while, when you get close to that overtime, and look, they see you're busting your butt to make your day and get it done on time. A lot of times they just go, ah, don't worry about the overtime. How about a couple cases of beer for the boys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Done. You yep. know? Nice. Uh, no. And thank you. But, but you don't take advantage of that. You don't go, well, every time we run over, I'm, I'll just throw some beer at these guys. Yeah. They got bills to pay, too. Oh, absolutely. But it's that give and take relationship is what I'm trying to say. What well, are the connections that you do as far as distribution goes? What, what do you do with that? <clears throat> well, the first couple films I worked out basically the distribution deals. Um, again, I'm not an entrepreneur, so that's really not my thing. It's not what I do. And now, of course, with the change, with the digital revolution, it's yeah. all it's all up for grabs now. A lot of filmmakers are using what they call that hybrid model of distribution, which is really just, you know, where whatever you can get. And, and the digital side of things is, you know, streaming as much as possible. But have so have you had any theatrical releases? Have any of these been released in theater? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the Fields had a theatrical, and Six Degrees had a very limited theatrical. Um, Camp Dread did not. It mm -hmm. was straight, you know, video, DVD, home video, streaming, Netflix. Uh, the same with Zombie Killers, and we'll see what happens with uh, Death House. But um, right now, the feedback from buyers on Death House is extremely positive, and uh, so far, the majority of them have entertained some type of limited theatrical release, which is what we want. Yeah. But what you have to be careful of in distribution is you know, a lot of people go, oh, I want my movie out on 5,000 screens. Well, yeah, if you have a $50 million marketing campaign. Yeah. Um, the, the, big, the big detriment, the, the number, I, I'd say what caused a lot of damage was paranormal activity. <laughs> and paranormal activity caused damage because it created this bullshit urban legend that you can go out with your prosumer camera and make a seven to $15,000 film and make $450 million on it. You're not going to. That's not going to happen. And I don't care anybody listening right now or watching this goes, oh, yes, it will. I'm going to tell you, oh, no, it won't. <laughs> it will not. Because what people don't realize, when I was selling the fields, I met, uh, I went out to L.A. and I met with one of the distributors who was interested in the film. And they also had paranormal activity first. And I said to him, how does it feel to be the company that lost paranormal activity? Cause by that point it had made all this money. And the guy said to me, he goes, look, I, I stand by it. The movie's a piece of shit. And he <laughs> said, let me tell you the real story because the media likes to print. Oh, you know, Warren Pelly went out and he, he spent $15,000 and now 450 million later with how many sequels and spinoffs 
-hmm. you know, oh, it's a, it's a Hollywood success story. So everybody with their prosumer camera and Final Cut Pro <laughs> is out to make the next paranormal activity. <clears throat> well, what really happened was the movie sat around. Spielberg was going to, to do something with it. Then he got sidetracked. Paramount had the rights to this movie, and they figured, well, what the hell? Let's Blair Witch it. If it worked with Blair Witch, let's try this. So they set up a viral campaign. Remember the Demand It thing? Yeah. Yeah. They did all of that. They didn't really say it was true, and they didn't say it wasn't. That's just what Blair Witch did. And then they went and they, they brought all these people into the studio lot at Paramount, and they put them in these studio theaters, and they did night vision. And out of 88 minutes of people sitting there with their hands on their face just going like this, there were like four minutes of jump scares. Well, they edit that all into the, the trailer and the previews and all of that stuff. And now you've got yourself the must-see movie of the year. Well, that's how they did it. And they sunk 45 to $50 million in marketing into it. See, I'm the marketing guy. I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying what they did is bad. No, I what know I'm what you're saying, saying is the fallout from that right. is that people who don't know that reality story think, well, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to shoot some movie and uh, then I'm going to make $450 million. Yep, right. No, you're not. Hey, could you tell us when it, when can we expect to see Death House? Because that looks sick. I mean, uh, the trailer oh, for I that think, one. Um, I think pretty soon. I mean, it'll be definitely 2017. I'm, I can't give you an exact date. Could be March. Could be April. But it's coming soon. All right, nice. <laughs> coming soon. Coming real soon. This is your juggernaut, right? 1.1 million dollar budget. Is this your biggest budget to date? To date, yes. Okay, cool. And so, I mean, this story brings together 28 horror icons, right? What's the correct. what's the vision behind this? How did you create this story, and where did you know where where was the inspiration for this story to to come about? The story came to me uh, through uh, Rick Finkelstein and Stephen Chase of Entertainment Factory, and they came to the screening of Zombie Killers in Los Angeles. And uh, what happened was they said, "Listen, we have this script by Gunnar Hansen. He wants a rewrite." Long story short, I, I read Gunner's script. I called Gunner. We ended up talking. I met with Gunner face to face. Um, he was very unhappy. Another writer came in and did a second draft of his script that um, was basically torture porn. Anyway, Gunner had this story about a, a group of documentary filmmakers that go into the bowels of an abandoned asylum and, well, hilarity ensues, you know? And it wasn't really lighting any fires, and Gunner knew this, and he felt that it needed kind of a fresh take, but there were several elements of his script that he wanted to see remain. And so um, I took a stab at it. And in writing it, the treatment, I was in a bar one night where I like to go to write. And uh, the, a preview for Jurassic World came on. Mm -hmm. It was right around the time of the Super Bowl. So it was like this big world premiere kind of thing. And suddenly it hit me. Why does this have to be an asylum? Why can't it be like this prison where the world's worst criminals are put in and I came up with this idea of two federal, young federal agents, up-and-comers, um, are taking a tour of this prison, and the ride breaks down and the monsters get out. Mm -hmm. And that's really mm -hmm. the premise of it. If you watch the trailer for Death House, it's very much like Jurassic Park without the dinosaurs. The big, the big thing about Death House that I, I want to convey through this podcast is it is less uh, a horror film than it is really like a, a science fiction action vibe like Escape from New York. That's what we were going for. We wanted the effects to look very 80s. That's why we went with all, all the blood and gore and violence is all practical. They're all practical. Mm. Um, the, 
the visuals and everything, we wanted to have an 80s feel to it. We wanted that vibe, like a Richard Edlin kind of mm. look. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's, you know, that's dangerous to do, guys, because, you know, you have a whole audience out there that they don't even know who these people are in this film, yep. you know? Uh, they, they don't even know that Friday the 13th, there was an original 1980 film. <laughs> you know, they, they think it was the remake in 2008, 2009, whatever it was. And the same with Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. So, you know, you're dealing with, it's funny, we have all this information at our fingertips on the internet and nobody knows anything. (laughs) That's true. You know? It's um, overkill, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the other thing. In in a recent cinema blog that I just put up, I quoted an article by Martin Scorsese where I agree with him. There's just too much content out there now. Movies have kind of lost a, a little bit of their luster or their specialness. And I really think part of the problem has been showing too much of the behind the scenes. We've made little mini experts out of people who have no business being mini experts. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the magicians have shown too much behind the stage. That's the problem. So now you get somebody go, oh, I, I know how they did that. They did this and, and they did that. And my answer always back is, and your movie is where? Oh, <laughs> that's right. You don't make them. You just sit on a YouTube channel and you talk about them. Got it. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Hey, you, now tell tell us a little about garlic and gunpowder because Dan is such a big fan of mafia movies. I'm not sure if he know <laughs> if he's ready for this. Give a little explanation. <laughs> <laughs> well, garlic and gunpowder is. It was given to me this script. It was originally called Buddies, and it was pitched to me as kind of like um, a mafia Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And uh, that kind of intrigued me. And I really want to do a comedy. Um, Even though you do these horror things, I I hope, especially if you saw Camp Dread, there's a lot of humor in Camp Mm -hmm. Dread. Yes. You know, there's a lot of tongue in cheek and a lot of humor. So um, anyway, I I read the script, but I didn't think the buddies were all that likable. And so I kind of gave it a spin and I I, I made these guys really likable. And I made the humor is very much like... um, raising arizona like it has like a coen brothers feel Mm -hmm. and uh it's not so much mafia these are guys that are hoods they they work for mafia people they're kind of freelancers so they're kind of like these wise guys for hire and they end up there's this uh big cataclysm that may be coming a comet that is heading for the earth and one of the one of the mafia or one of the hoods is like ah he's starting to rethink his life what if this comet hits and he suddenly got this you know, kinder, gentler attitude, and he's trying to convince his partner of the same thing. And in the meantime, there's this drug lord that they do work for, and she's this 350-pound woman, you know, that that runs like the drug market. And uh, it, it kind of ends up becoming like it's a mad, 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 mad world toward the end. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of stuff, especially a very strong Looney Tunes influence on some of the events that happen. <laughs> and I can tell you that. Uh, you know, there's there's a huge climactic ending that involves these mafia guys, federal agents, uh, a one-handed clown, and a gay porn star. <laughs> <laughs> it's a can't miss. Yeah, definitely. You got to check it's that a, out. It's a can't miss. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking great. forward to it. That's awesome. Well, Harrison, we have to thank you and we have to say uh, our adieus for this show because it's our time is up. But we do appreciate you coming on, and uh, it was a, it was a blast picking your brain and getting a, a, a little insight into everything that you've been doing lately. 
look out for the new uh, movie Death House and uh, your upcoming one that you're working Garlic on now is Garlic and Gunpowder. Wretched. Garlic and Gunpowder. Yeah. So um, we do appreciate it. Why don't you let us know where can everybody find you online, on social media? You want to give some call outs? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's I believe it's Harrison Smith 85. You can find me on there. That's my handle. Um, check out my my cinema blog. Um, it's not movie reviews because just what the Internet needs is another movie <laughs> review site. Um, it's about cynicism and filmmaking. And, and it was inspired by the movie Jaws the Revenge because I think that is hands down the worst motion picture ever made. And the reason why is it didn't have to be and they deliberately made it shitty just to fleece people. That's what inspired me to write cinema. So it's about cynicism and filmmaking and how audiences should be expecting more of their entertainment. And that's why it's called, it's spelled C-Y, not C-I. Got it. Cool, Harrison. Thanks for your time, man. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.